Hello and welcome to the FCO podcast, where we explore the ins and outs of the beautiful game. I'm your host, Fabio Costa Oliveira, and today we will be discussing the valuation of players versus the expenditure of football clubs on players. Football is a big business and clubs invest a lot of money in their players. But how do clubs determine the value of a player and how do they ensure they're not overspending? In this episode, we'll take a closer look at the valuation of players and how it relates to a club's expenditure. First, let's talk about how players are valued. The value of a player is determined by several factors, including their skill level, age, potential and current market demand. Top quality players can be worth tens or even hundreds of millions of pounds, while younger or less experienced players may be signed for much less. In the past few years, the transfer fees for top players have skyrocketed. In 2017, PSG shattered the transfer record by paying £198 million to sign Neymar from Barcelona. Since then, transfer fees for top players have only continued to climb. But how did the clubs justify these huge transfer fees? In many cases, it comes down to a player's potential. Clubs are willing to invest big money in young players who have the potential to become superstars. They're also willing to pay a premium for top players who can make an immediate impact on the team and help the club win titles. For example, in 2020, Chelsea paid £71 million to sign Kai Havertz from Bayern Leverkusen. Havertz, who was only 21 at the time, but was already considered one of the top young players in the world. Chelsea likely determined that Havertz's potential and skill levels justified the high price tag. However, just because a player is valued at a certain price doesn't mean that clubs will pay that exact amount. Clubs will often negotiate with other clubs and agents to try and get the best deal possible for the player they want to sign. For example, in 2021, PSG paid a transfer fee of £54 million to sign Hakimi from Inter Milan. While this may seem like a lot of money, PSG likely determined that Hakimi's potential and skill level justified the price tag. Additionally, PSG might have negotiated with Inter Milan to try and bring the price down from the initial asking price. On the other hand, clubs may overspend on players if they're in a bidding war with other clubs, or even if they're trying to sign a high-profile player who's in high demand. For example, in 2016, Man United signed Paul Pogba from Juventus for, for a then world record fee of £89 million. And while Pogba was undoubtedly a talented player, some critics argued that United overpaid for him and that the club could have spent the money more wisely. In addition to transfer fees, clubs also spend a significant amount of money on player wages and bonuses. Top players can earn millions of pounds per year and clubs will often offer performance-related bonuses in order to incentivise their players to perform at their best. For example, Lionel Messi, who's considered one of the greatest footballers of all time, signed a contract with PSG in 2021 that is reported to be worth £25 million per year. While this is significant expenditure for the club, PSG likely determined that Messi's value to the team and his potential to help the club win titles justified the high wage demands. Today's episode is brought to you by a small clothing brand that's making a big impact in the world of fashion. Jujiti with Love is a unique clothing line that combines Arabic styles, comfort and sustainability in every piece. From trendy streetwear to cozy loungewear, Jujiti with Love has everything you need to elevate your wardrobe. And the best part? They use eco-friendly materials and ethical manufacturing practices so you can feel good about what you wear. Head to www.jujitiwithlove.com and use the code EP2 for 10% off your first purchase. That's EP2 for 10% off at www.jujitiwithlove.com. Thanks to Jujiti With Love for sponsoring this episode. Back to the episode. It's not all overspending. There have been some fantastic bargain buyers within the world of football. 
Our first example of a bargain transfer is Jamie Vardy. Vardy was signed by Leicester City from Fleetwood Town for just £1 million in 2012, and he went on to play a key role in Leicester's Premier League title win in 2016. And he has since become one of the most prolific goalscorers in the Premier League. He's a prime example of a player who was signed for a relatively low fee, but went on to make a huge impact on the team. Our next example is Riyad Mahrez. Mahrez was also signed by Leicester City, but from French side La Heve for just a 400k in 2014. He played a crucial role in Leicester's title win, winning the PFA Players Player of the Year award in 2016 before being sold to Manchester City for a fee of around £60 million in 2018. Mahrez is another example of a player who was signed for a really low fee but went on to become a star player for his team. Our third example is Virgil van Dijk. Now, Van Dijk was signed by Southampton from Scottish club Celtic for £30 million in 2015 and this was considered a relatively high fee for a defender at the time. However, his performances at Southampton caught the eye of Liverpool who signed him for a fee of £75 million in 2018. Van Dijk has since become a key player for Liverpool helping them win the Champions League at one point and the Premier League. N'Golo Kante was signed by Leicester City from French club Cain for just £5.6 million in 2015. He, like Mahrez and Vardy, played a key role in Leicester's title win before being sold to Chelsea for a fee of around £32 million in 2016. And Kante has since become one of the best defensive midfielders in the world, helping Chelsea win the Premier League and the Champions League. Fernandes was signed by Manchester United from Portuguese club Sporting Clube de Portugal for a fee of around £47 million in 2020. While that might seem like a lot of money, his impact on United's team has been immense. He has scored goals, provided assists and become the team's talisman in just a short time, helping them finish second in the Premier League in his first full season at the club. Let's get our guest Amir on the line to discuss Manchester United's season and their spending over the last few years. So we've got our guest Amir on today. Um, so Amir, how are you doing? Tell us a little bit oh. about yourself, who you support and you know how you know the football world. Hi everyone, so my name's Amir. I'm a Man United fan, so I'm 24 years old. I've been a football fan my whole life, so I've spent like the last year coaching, but before that I was studying sport coaching at university. But really, like even though I've only been within the coaching sphere, if you like, for the last like four years or so, like football's been my life since since I can remember. I've always just loved football. Not just playing football, just the tactical side of it and just pretty much every single aspect of it. So pretty much supporting United. Granted, I think now now things are getting a little bit better, but at some point it was getting quite quite stressful. But yeah, I'm excited to see what May and I do in the future, just generally generally the future of football. The the, the likes of football, it doesn't matter who you support, you know. As they yeah. know with football, it's only one winner at the end of the at the end of the season. So it's yeah. it's very difficult to kind of go, oh, you know, we've had a great season. But how have you found the season so far? I think I think the season's been really, really unique because obviously having the World Cup middle of the season, we've never had that before. So I think it's kind of created a situation where we've got a lot of new variables that we've never had to consider. Like, for example, like I'm I'm a big Messi fan, which is quite controversial being a United fan, but I'm a, I love Messi and You've seen PSG's form pre-World Cup and post-World Cup has been massively different. Like, you've seen PSG post-World Cup, they've just fallen off a cliff. Like, every, everything that they've kind of worked on since the start of the season kind of fell away. So, I think that's always been something I found really, really interesting, how teams have adjusted post, post-World Cup. You've also seen Bayern Munich, their form's fallen off, and obviously not even got sacked because of it. But I think that's something in particular I've really paid attention to. 
had a pretty decent season, like you said, you know, had a bit of its sort of controversial moments with the whole Ronaldo saga and everything. But I mean, up until this point, you guys have played, what, 26 games, you've won 15, drawn five of them and lost six. I mean, got a good few goals, 41 in total, um, and only conceded 35, which is not too bad. 50 points yeah. in total and, you know, the, the form you guys are in, you've won two of the last five games and only lost one of them. Um, yeah. So, you know, not too bad. But do you think Ten Hag's done a good job this year? I think Ten Hag's done an unbelievable job. I think if it wasn't, apart from the the, the massive defeats, like Liverpool 7-0, I think if it wasn't for those kind of isolated games, I would say he's done like a perfect job. But obviously, if you lose 7-0, like, you can't, it's not perfect, obviously. But generally, I think... My the biggest thing I was worried about with Ten Hag is that, considering his whole Ajax background and how he likes patterns of play and building up, United, in my opinion, at least the last few years, we've struggled with having. We have, I don't, in my opinion, I don't think we've had patterns of play or kind of a set structure in terms of building up. So I think I always thought Ten Hag coming in, he's going to find it quite difficult to instill his philosophy because we've not been really playing like that the last few years, and also the technical standard of the team is quite low in my opinion, even though I think he's added players to help that with Alessandro and Casemiro and Ericsson. And it seems like these guys have improved the technical technical level of the team. But I thought he was going to really struggle to get his points of view across. But I think, like for me, I was I thought it would be, would be fourth at best. I thought most likely it would be fifth, and, fifth or sixth. So for, for us to be, well, I think we're still third, right? I think we're still third. Like for, so, for yeah. us to be in that situation where and we've won the cup and potentially we're still in the Europa League and we're still in the FA Cup, like I thought he's definitely he's crushed my expectations, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, um just a bit of insight into today's podcast. It's about valuations versus expenditure, which is pretty much just looking at wh- how clubs spend money on uh sort of in the market and what right. players are really valued at. Uh, okay. but I mean I'm a firm believer in giving managers time and you know, getting the right players in. Okay. If you look at sort of what United have spent this year, um, 95 million in euros, obviously, on Anthony, 70 million for Casemiro, who was valued at 40 million. So, you know, a little bit above what his market value is. But they've got Martinez, who, you know, they said wasn't going to adapt to the uh, Premier League because he's too short. You know, they got him for 57 million, even though he was valued at 32. So, you know, again, spending a little bit higher. But then, you know, bringing in a player like uh, Malasia, who, I mean, forgive me if I've got his name wrong, but, you know, 15 million on him, but his value was 17 million at the time. So, yeah. you know, you look at the the spending this year, it's not been too bad, especially bringing the players that fit the characteristics that Ten Hag wants. Yeah, definitely. I think that's that's the main thing. I think, like what we just said, actually getting the right characteristics. I think that's kind of been the biggest problem with United the last few years is we've had like players that, don't really, that I don't really think have been the best for what we've needed. Like we might have gone, we might have spent a lot of money on big name players, but they just not might they's not might have been the right profile for that particular point. So I think with Ten Hag, pretty much all the signings I think more or less like make sense. Like feel like having Lissandro as someone with his technical ability playing out from the back, I think that's been a massive part of our game this season. So I think he's definitely for me, I think he's been our best player this season. And also Anthony's worked with Anthony before. So I think again he's he's aware of what Ten Hag wants and what he's used to. Obviously Casemiro's, you know, one of the best midfielders of his era. So and not only that, but he he's able to actually play as a lone sink number six. And we've kind of been missing that for a while. So he's kind of helped that as well. So I think all the all the signings have, even though they're all quality players, I think they actually fit what we need, which I don't think we've always had. Yeah. You mentioned big name signings and again United, I mean, from when I was even a kid, I could remember United spending not massive amounts of money, but 
you know, yeah. they they knew how to splash cash. But I mean, in recent years, it's been a bit of a challenge, you know, spending nearly a hundred million on Sancho, who pretty much didn't hit form until recently. I think he's he's, he's starting to show his Dortmund characteristics now. Uh, yeah. But then, you know, the, spending money on Varane, who everyone again would say is is too old for the Premier League, but he's brought in a wealth of experience. And, you know, even pre-Ten Hag, you had a Ronaldo who they got on a bargain for 17 million and he was valued at 40 million at the time. Uh, oh, wow. But, you know, when you yeah. look at all of those three signings in one year, I think that's probably their, their best season in terms of how much they've spent versus what the players actually valued at. Yeah. Um, you know, the year before, pretty much Maguire was spent, what, 87 million on him and he was yeah. valued at 50 million. And then you brought in a Bruno who... I think one of your best players that year when he came in um, at 63 million, which was only 3 million more above what his market value was. So, yeah. you know, it, it's not too bad in terms of spending for you guys. Dortmund's one of the hardest teams to kind of negotiate with, but again, United stood firm with it. Yeah, especially with the Sancho deal, that was in terms of negotiating, that was going on for, I think, because we were, we were in for him, I think, the year before that as well. So it was quite a drawn out kind of situation but yeah I think that's been a big problem with United where they've just spent play a lot of money on players it's just not worked out I think but I also think something that doesn't really get acknowledged when it comes to evaluation is just how much the team need that player so for example like let's say look at Chelsea like Enzo Fernandez. I don't know what Enzo Fernandez's transfer evaluation is but I'll be willing to bet it's lower than what Chelsea paid for but kind of in Chelsea's mind they might have just looked at it as we just we need the player now he's just exactly what we need and we're willing to spend the extra money like just to just to make it worth our while. So I think I always find it interesting when it comes to evaluations because how I'm always curious to see how they kind of land on that figure in the end, like kind of what algorithm they use. But yeah, that's the, the thing. Yeah, one of the things I touched upon earlier was um, how pretty much the market value is actually based on two things. At least this is what I feel like in my opinion. Um, it's based on what the 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 team that they're selling values that player at, which you mentioned, but also right. what other teams are actually got in the bank. I mean, we all yeah. know, for example, the Glazers are quite rich in terms of what their market value is as individuals, yeah. uh, or like at least as owners. When you've got teams like, for example, Leicester who have rich owners and uh, now Newcastle who have rich owners. I think when you go and look at that, when you know you're selling one of your top players to them, you know that that team has money and you're not going to go right. This player's worth, let's say, 50 million. I'm not going to sell him for 50 million because I know you've got 100 million and you're desperate. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's funny you said that because I, I remember this is like a while ago, maybe it might have been like a year ago. I was, I was listening to a podcast. They were talking about the Neymar transfer and how it kind of, like the impact it had on the transfer market. And it was, they were basically saying one thing about Barcelona is once they got that Neymar money, everyone knew that Barcelona just got 200 million to spend. So when it comes to Dortmund, they knew when it comes to selling Dembele, they could really push a premium because they knew Barcelona, Barcelona were desperate and they had the money to pay for it. So yeah, that's always something I think clubs will have to be, have to be cognizant of in terms of if they're seen as desperate, I think clubs will really like tag on the extra millions to make it worth their while. Current theme. Um, so we're going to move on to the next segment of the show, which is called Hit or Miss. So this mm -hmm. is where I ask you, a fan, um, whether the players that you guys have sold this year would have been a hit in the team um, mm -hmm. or whether they're, they're not going to be missed. So we'll start with Andres Pereira. Hit or miss? Miss. Do you want me to explain or just try to just, like, just say hit or miss? If you want to go into detail, um, again, it's totally up to you. 
I'd say miss. I think the thing was Pereira. I think technically he's actually quite a good player technically in terms of his ability to receive the ball. He strikes the ball very well. He's a hardworking player. My issue with Pereira is I think his decision making is quite poor. So even though I think he's done well at Fulham, I just think at my I just don't think he's shown the level of decision making to play at that type, that kind of level of club. But so I'll say miss. Again, I will apologize if I pronounce any of these players' names wrong, but Tahith Chong. Miss. Definitely miss. I remember funny story about Tahith Chong. I remember when he was in the academy, he was meant to be like the next thing. They were saying like he was the main player at the academy at the time. But I think when he's ever whenever I've seen him play in the first team, I just I just never was really that convinced. I think technically he's a decent player, but I don't really think there's much to him. I think it's just one of those situations where you have players that are brilliant at the lower levels, but once they transition to adult football, it's just not quite the same for whatever reason. Rare sort of situation where it's either the decision making or they just don't fit the system. Yeah, like yeah, I think technically he's probably a sound player. He probably have a decent career somewhere, but I, yeah, I just think he's a very average player. All right, not bad. Paul Pogba. Oh. I think that was an easy one. Okay, so here's the thing. I'm a Pogba fan, right? So I I want what was it? Hit on, so his thing, him leave. Oh, this is difficult. My shoot, because I'm in my mind. I'm like arguing both. But okay, you know what? I'm just gonna voice my voice my what's going on in my head, and then I'll try just fight what I'm gonna say. So here's the thing with Pogba. I think Pogba is one of the most talented players I've ever seen. Genuinely, I think he's such a unique player in terms of his skill set. Like having a player that's like what six three six four, but that skill that skillful and that ability to manipulate the ball while being an athlete, I think is just so rare. But obviously, saying that, like, I can't be naive and say it's worked out because it hasn't, like, him at my United. But I think, to me, that's more just a situation where I just don't think the team was really built in a way to get the best out of him. But saying that, I do think if he stayed and Ten Hag might, might have got to grips with him, then maybe there might have been something that could have happened. So, oh, it's difficult because it's difficult. I'll say I'll say miss just I think it got to that point where it just got toxic between him and the United fans where I think they were just happy to see the back of end back of him but personally I would have liked to see him like for next year but I'll, I'll say miss yeah, or he's a here's if I'm happy that he's gone right like if you take out the the toxic element um, and you're talking about the player as an like as an individual what he actually brings to a team would he be a hit or a miss in this oh, team? No, I'm saying hit. No, I'll say hit. Hit, definitely. I'm saying hard. Right. We're next to him now. He's a hit. All right. Jesse Lingard. Jesse Lingard. Jesse Lingard is a difficult one. Again, Jesse Lingard, I think, is a good player. Technically, very sound. Very versatile. Like, I think he kind of, we especially at, when he was at the club, we missed kind of someone that could carry the ball and kind of receive the ball in tight situations. What do I think Ten Hag? I think Ten Hag might like Jesse, to be honest. I don't know. I don't think he'd start every week, but I think he'd be like a good role player, a good squad player. So I'll say, I'll say here. Yeah. Matic. Sorry, what, what, Matic? Yeah. Matic. Mm, I think just because I think Casemiro, well, actually, he might. I'm thinking midfield, Casemiro, Ericsson. Matic, technically sound player, I think, never really been the most mobile. I mean, I, I liked Matic when he was here. But I'd say hit or miss. I'd probably say, I think, I don't actually think about it, I don't think he'll get a lot of starts because I think we've got quite a few. Signing Ericsson, signing Casemiro, so I'd say miss. I don't think he'd just play, he, I don't think he'd play much. Uh, Cavani. I, I would say hit. So I think the thing with Cavani, even though I think 
he's quite an erratic finisher, even though he's only scored a lot of goals throughout his career. I think his movement is so good that it ends up kind of being a fall for his teammates. So I think with Cavani, his movement is so good within the box. It ends up kind of creating situations where teammates will try and find him because his movement's that good. So I think, and I think we've struggled kind of up front this season, Marshall being injured and Werkos kind of, I think he's been okay, but I don't think there's anything particularly special. So I'll say, I'll say hit Cavani. And last but not least, one matter. I've I've always liked Juan Mata. Even back to Chelsea, I've always thought he's a brilliant player. I think under Ten Hag, I think again, kind of that kind of technical player that's press resistant that can combine well. Again, I don't think he'll start week in week out, but I think there'd be a role for him definitely, especially with number ten. I think Bruno's played out wide a couple of times. Like I still think Ten Hag isn't completely convinced with our number ten, so I think Donny's been injured. I'd say hit. I'll say maybe not start week in week out, but I think he he have a good contribution to the squad. You mentioned Ted Hogg's done a good job, in your opinion, for the tools that he's got. But does he have the right tools, or do you believe that the board and the Glazers could be doing more? I I I think I think yeah, I think the club could do more in terms of. It's difficult because I think with United it. It's complex. I don't really know. We don't know how much input the manager has when it comes to transfers. So, like, for example, I know Jose was saying that... I remember Jose once said, it was, like, the end of the season, and he said, like, I literally just have a list of players that I wanted and and the club will try get the players I want, but that's not always how it works out. I definitely do think the Glazers... Me, personally, I, I'm not really convinced with our with our board in the sense of not just the Glazers themselves, but just in terms of... Darren Fletcher's our technical director, and I don't even know who our sporting director is. I know it's like he's no, it's our sporting director is John Murta, who I'm not really that convinced about. So I think Tenaka could definitely get more support upstairs. Like me personally, in an ideal world, I don't think it would happen, but I would have I would have liked Edwin Van der Sar to come in and be our like our footballing CEO, 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 or director yes. of football. And, and knows the club. Yeah, and they can kind of work together and they can kind of get their ideas across. I think Ten Hag, it feels like a club are kind of one way and he's another way. I think they're just two different philosophies. So I think the clubs can definitely do more to support him. Yeah. Well, moving on to my next question. How do you respond to the rumours that De- David De Gea has turned down Man United's first offer of a new contract? It's weird because I keep reading conflicting reports. Like some saying apparently he's turned it down, but he still wants to stay. And I've heard all these different things. Me personally, I think David De Gea has been a great servant for us. I've, I always have a soft spot for De Gea because... He's like one of the few remaining players that were actually here when Sir Alex Ferguson was here. Like he was still part of our last title winning team. So I do have a soft spot for him in that sense. And when we were struggling, he has been, especially on Louis Van Gaal and the early Jose years, he was kind of he was playing ridiculously well. But I do think, being honest, I do think we should just let him go because I think at this point he's almost holding us back because I think his inability to play with his feet and him not being able to sweep, it just means that we're having to sit deeper and deeper and deeper. And I think that affects our ability to press. So me personally, yeah. if I, I ideally I'd want the here to go and we just get a new keeper in that can actually sweep and actually feel with, with our feet. So if that is true that the hairs rejects that contract, then I just hope hopefully just leaves him leaving ultimately, even though I think he's been a great servant for the club. On the starting eleven for the last game of the season last uh, last season. Um and then you know he was on start an 11 for pretty much the last game as well so you look at it and you know he, he pretty much has been quite the servant for you guys I remember yeah. even in his first season when he made quite a few errors yeah. um, and you know pretty much you guys as fans pretty much still stuck with him and said that yeah he's the future 
yeah, I mean, 10 years, yeah, 10 years, um, 10 years at a club like Man United is it's a long time. So, and I mean, throughout the whole time, it's pretty much, apart from the first season where, like, there was, a, there was a point where, like you said, he wasn't playing well, he's being rotated, but pretty much once he got over that initial hump, he's been week in, week out, I'll make it, but, so, yeah, he's been there, he's been with us for a while, definitely. It's good to hear your opinion, and this is the part of the show where I put your opinion pretty much to the test, and I put you on the spot. So, okay. if you're Ten Hag, or let's say you're Amir, the uh, first team manager of Man United, what would be your first eleven formation and lineup? So, what would be your eleven? Oh, wow. So that's a good question. So you have every single player right now, fully fit at your disposal. What's your starting eleven, and what's your lineup? So, your lineup and your formation. Okay, so. Lineup and formation. So I'll probably it's a good question. I'll probably stick with look the full formation. So four two three one, that's kind of the formation we've been playing the last few last few years. So I'll probably just stick with that for now. So players that have the hair, even though after even though after everything I've said, I don't think we technically, technically have a goalkeeper in the club that can replace him at the moment. That's why I, I want us to go to the market. So it'd be the hair and goal. I I'd always been a Dallow fan, I think. I remember when he got him, he was 19 years old and I'd never really heard of him, but I, I always think he's actually a good football. I think he's got flaws in his game. I think his crossing can be quite erratic, but I think he receives the ball well. He helps us build up. The, he's reason, he's reasonably good at building up from the back compared to someone like Wamasaka. One one and one defending, I think he's actually quite solid. He's not, obviously not like Wamasaka. Wamasaka is brilliant at that part, but I, I'll say that was quite solid. In that. And I think he carries the ball quite well. He can attack one in one of one situations. So I'd say Dallo, uh, centre-backs, Lissandro and Varane, I think those two will speak for themselves. I think Lissandro's been our best player this season. And even though Varane, I think his ball playing is quite average. And I think sometimes when it's him and Varane, it, not him and Wan-Bissaka would be quite problematic having both of them. But it's still Varane. Like he's still, within the box, he's still a brilliant defender. So I'd have those two left-back. I think at the start of the season, I would have said Malasio. I think... Shaw over the course of his career has always over over his career with us. Like he's always been consistent, but Shaw has been playing really well the last few months. I think he kind of when we've had issues building up, he kind of saves us, him and Lissandro, because I think technically he's a very adept footballer. I think he reads the game quite well. I think my problem with Luke Shaw has always been I think he gets quite complacent at times, but when he plays well, I think he plays very well. So assuming everyone's fit and he's playing well, I'll say Luke Shaw. Double pivot, I would go Casemiro, speak to himself. His, his partner would probably be... Yeah, it's only, only really Ericsson, to be honest. I think Ericsson is quite important for us because I think we struggle with keeping the ball, recycling the ball, especially under pressure, especially when we're being pressed. I think we really, really struggle with that. So I think Ericsson has been quite important for us, even though I don't think he's a natural six. And I think sometimes in the bigger games, off the ball, he's quite, he's not really an ideal person. He's not really a great athlete off the ball. And I think in the beginning, you kind of feel it a little bit. But on the ball, I think he's he's brilliant. So, but yeah, so be him, Casemiro. Uh, front three behind the striker, Rashford on the left. Uh, I think, yeah, it's out, I think it's out. Rashford definitely is goal scoring been brilliant. I think his performances, I think, have still not been brilliant. This, I've always had this issue of Rashford where I feel like he scores. But his performances are quite lackluster for the most part. But I do think this season, at least from the way I see it, it seems to me like he's playing a lot higher. He's playing a lot narrower, so he's not yeah. as involved in our build-up. So I think, in a way, Ten Hag taking the ball off him 
and just allow them to concentrate on goal scoring. And I think that's kind of worked pretty well. So definitely rational left. Who are the other two? Oh, it's difficult. Well, I'll, I'll get the strike out of the way. Martial, always been a Martial fan. Obviously, granted, it's not really worked out this season or over his Man United career. I think that he's got well, he's got a lot of things, a lot of division within the fan base with Martial. But I've always been a big fan. I think his quality is brilliant. I think technically he's a, a brilliant footballer as well. Granted, again, it's not worked out. I'm not delusional in that sense, but I think Martial and a team that can move the ball well and combines well, I think he'd be absolutely brilliant. And if he stay, I think his biggest issue is obviously staying fit. But I'm assuming if obviously if he's fit, then I would start him. So him up front. Other two difficult because I'm not really that convinced of the players that, that are left. So Anthony, Sancho, and Bruno. I'm not really the biggest fans of any of the three for different reasons. Uh, but who would I start? Oh, you got Donny Van der Beek, but he's not really had a run of games, so I can't really say any confidence. Like I said, you're the first team manager. You have your tactics, your way of thinking, oh. your philosophy. Like, okay. who this would is... be your 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 player? Okay, okay, Sancho. Okay, Sancho is a ten. Okay, this is controversial. Definitely, I think United fans are not gonna like this. So I wouldn't start Bruno. I'll explain. I'll give my reasoning. I think. Okay, so Bruno. I think Bruno is a very interesting kind of player in sense of I think. The way people rate, I think the way people portray Bruno, I think it says a lot about how they interpret football. So I think if you're a big fan of Bruno, it's probably because you, you're someone who's big into stats and you like someone that runs a lot and always got high GA. And Bruno definitely, definitely, his stats are always good in that respect. I've always had a big issue with Bruno Fernandes because I think his stats are always at the cost of the team. I think even though his, like his assists and goals look good on paper, I think there's a lot of times where He's been erratic and he's given the ball away quite poorly. And not so much this season. I think Ten Hag's improved this part of his game. But I think before he'd have a lot of problems where he'd be out of position. Oh, we only got 10 minutes. Okay, I want to speed up. Okay, I'll go Sancho, number 10. I think Ten Hag's trialed that a lot of the time. I think that's probably where he's at his best because I think he combined with other players. And I don't think he's the best at wide ways. I don't think he's the most direct one-for-one -one player. I'll go Anthony on the right. Technically a very good footballer. I think he's quite passive. Which I don't, which I think I have the same issue with Sancho. They don't really take players on one one v one. But I think if you have Sancho, Anthony, and 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 Martial, I think the three of them can combine really well. They're all technically probably our best footballers in the club, as well. Eriksson and Lissandro. So that would be my team. Yeah, yeah. Anthony on the right, Sancho and Martial up front, and Rashford Yeah. Fair. I like to hear your opinion. I can't wait to see what everyone else will think. But on that, crucified, you're know. still the first team manager. Okay. It's the season of 2023 2024. Okay. You have pretty much the transfer market open. Who are you selling in your squad and who are you going to keep? Uh, okay. And who would you buy? Okay, so sell. Okay, who would I sell? I'd sell Harry Maguire, definitely. I don't think we're not making 8 million on that. Definitely, we're definitely making a loss, but I'd sell him. Mm, who would I buy? I think we need, I think with Marshall being injured and Workhorse, I'm not really that convinced. I wouldn't re sign Workhorse personally, uh, I would get rid of him. I, I would extend, I would sign Sabitzer though on a permanent deal. I think he's a good squad player to have. But I'd definitely get rid of Maguire. The hair would go as well. Phil Jones would go as well. I think he's just eating money out of the football club at this point. And so those, those are players I'll get rid of. Players I'll buy, I think, it, I, I love Jao Felix. I think that guy's like a pure magician. So I would sign him. I think, I think he'd be able to, I think he'd be able to convince him. 
uh, quite easily because I think our project's more advanced than Chelsea. So I'll buy Felix. I think we need a striker. I think there's been a lot of talk about, about Osman. I haven't seen a lot of him, so I can't really, with any conviction, say I'd sign him. But I'll get a striker. I don't know who in particular. But I'll just say Osman because apparently he's big. He's a great player, but I haven't seen a lot enough of him to really say that. Um, who else would I buy? I'll buy a keeper again. I don't really know enough. I'll, I'll buy. I know what keeper I'll get. I'll get. I'll get the keeper from Milan, Manuel. I'll get him. Plays for France. I'll get him. Those are probably the three players I'll get: Felix, Osimhen, I guess, and Manuel. That's probably the three players I'll buy. All right, that's great. I love what I hear uh, in general. It was great talking to you. Good yeah. to hear your opinion on your club and, of course, yeah. your insight into football as well. Uh, so thank you for coming on to the show. Thank you, man. Of course. Of course. Thanks for having me on. All right. I'm sure it won't be the last time as well. No, definitely not. Definitely not. Let's head over to the results, fixtures and the rumours for this week. This week, I managed to catch the Juventus versus Sporting game in the Europa League and it wasn't the win we expected. Suffering a 1-0 defeat from a set piece is never easy for us. But we had some fantastic opportunities that we probably should have put away. Kuluna double save from their goalkeeper in the second half towards the final minutes of the game. But again, where there's a lot to look forward to, just like we had with the Arsenal fixture. Could we make the change next week and go on to win the game? Who knows? We'll find out next week. But other than that, Juventus played a very good game, sitting deep, uh, knowing how to go on the counter. And Sporting was trying to do the same thing, letting Juventus just have the ball in their own half. Um, something that we don't always normally do with a lot of teams, but it was still a fantastic game to watch nevertheless. And like I said, we had fantastic opportunities that we probably should have put away. Uh, looking over to the fixtures that we should probably look towards. Fixtures for this weekend, some interesting matchups coming up. On Friday the 14th of April, we've got Middlesbrough versus Norwich. Bora looking to hold off the pressure and chase Luton for third, while Norwich will look to win this weekend to climb into the playoff places. On Saturday the 15th of April, I've picked out the MK Dons game versus Cheltenham. Now, the Dons are sitting in 19th and Cheltenham sitting in 16th, so quite a close battle. The Dons will look to chase Cheltenham and move away from the relegation zone, while Cheltenham will look to beat the Dons and do the same. Over to Sunday, Getafe will play Barcelona. Now, Getafe play are sitting in 15th and Barcelona are sitting top of the table. But can Barcelona cement their title run and push Getafe closer to the relegation zone? Or will Getafe cause an upset in La Liga? Let's go check out some of the rumours that we've seen this week. Bayern Munich are reported to wanting to sign Harry Kane this summer. However, Manchester United are the leading favourites with Kane looking to stay in England. The legend Luka Modric will look to stay at Real Madrid next season, barring any changes within the club and transfers should they ever occur, but the legend wants to stay. And although he's still in his first season, Enzo Fernandez has extended his contract by a year, which will now end in 2032. Quite a long time for him to be staying at Chelsea, if I might add. And that's a wrap for today's episode of the FCO podcast. I hope you enjoyed our discussion on the valuation of players versus the expenditure of football clubs. So how can clubs ensure they're not overspending on players? By doing their due diligence and carefully evaluating the player's potential and skill level before making an offer. By investing in the right players, clubs can maximise their chances of success on the pitch whilst also managing their finances responsibly. Thanks for listening to the FCO podcast. Don't forget to tune in to the next episode for our discussion on whether or not players should have a say on how the club is run.